You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So glad you're here this morning. You can open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. Partially as a way of announcement, but also as a sincere um, request for you to all be praying. You know, our staff team here at the church, we're walking into a, just a really interesting season, the culmination of a lot of change. And I would just really covet your prayers in this. Um, it'd be one thing if all the things that were uh, juggling were happening in one calendar year or even one calendar month, but these are all happening within like two, a two-week span. We have uh, two staff members that are pregnant. You know, we, we said uh, Pastor Riley and Sheena, they are pregnant with their firstborn somewhere mid-August, mid to late August as they're launching uh, the youth to weekly gatherings. Our worship director, uh, Paige and Joe, they are expecting their second child around that time as well, a little earlier, um, mid-August again. Our children's ministry director, Nicole Gilson, the international wedding of the century. It's going to be amazing. It's, it's happening mid-August. And so our children's ministry director is getting married to this handsome South African fellow. And, uh, and so we've taken seriously this mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, she did it by drawing in a South African stud and others are having babies. But, but seriously, I do covet your prayers um, just in, in the weeks to come, so much life change, so much transition happening amongst the leadership staff team that make the, the church really go around day to day. And so I would really covet your prayers that you'd ask just for God's grace as young staff transition into unique seasons of being young parents and all that entails. And obviously for Nicole as she ventures into married life. Um, you can't really, I mean, I do premarriage counseling all the time, and, and you can't t- teach a person to swim in a classroom, right? You learn by jumping in, and so, like, there's only so much you can prepare yourself for marriage, and they're going to be ready, as ready as they can be. Um, amen? Good stuff. Hey, this morning, we are going to start a new series to wrap up this summer called You Have My Attention, and the main aim of this series is really focusing us on worship the lifestyle of worship that God has called each and every one of us for. Actually, he's created you for worship. He's created you as a being that actually naturally worships. We all worship. We all worship. The question is not whether we're worshiping. It's what are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? We naturally express this outflow of worship. And, and my hope is that we'd be attuned and aware. We'd be self-aware and understanding as to what we are giving our attention, our heart's affection, our worship to. Amen? The uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to, and to enjoy him forever. I don't believe that we're very good at multitasking, at splitting our attention. We, give our, we, we worship that which, we ha- that which has our attention that which we give our attention to, that's what we worship. And I want us to fix our attention on the one, the source, the author of our life, the one who created it all, king of majesty. He's worthy of our full attention. 
And maybe you can think of it like this. Maybe you've, had, you've attempted to have a conversation with a friend or a loved one, maybe a spouse, and they're in the middle of something. They're reading a book, they're watching a show, watching a, a ball game. They're, they're in the middle of something, doing a crossword puzzle, but you really want to have a conversation with them. So you, you say, hey, can we talk? They're like, yeah, let's, let's go for it. But they don't disengage from what's right in front of them. They continue to watch, and as the conversation goes on, you can tell that they're picking out maybe 50% of what you're putting out. Kind of a, uh, uh-huh, yep, okay, uh-huh, kind of a, um, a shrug every once in a while, but you're realizing that they're really not paying attention, and the reality is we're not good at splitting our attention. We're not good at multitasking. As much as you love to convince yourself that you're great at multitasking, the reality is we are not great multitaskers. We worship that which has our attention. And this morning, my prayer is that God would get your attention in a fresh way, in a reviving way, that he'd bring you back to what you're created for, this chief end of yourself to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I believe over the next number of weeks as we, as we dive into this series Understanding worship, and we are a church that's so passionate about worship. That's why we, we write songs. One of those songs this morning, Pastor Tony and the team, they, they wrote. There's this natural expression that we want to create an anthem to the Lord that's our very own. It's unique to us, and that's why they, they put so much effort into the excellence of worship. But I want us to think beyond the music, because worship is, is not a genre of music. It's not a time during our worship service. Worship is not even even just what happens inside the confines of this building. Worship is a 24-hour expression of a lifestyle. You naturally worship. And I want us to see that. There's gonna be kind of a progression that we take on over the next several weeks. There's a unique expression of worship that only you can express. And God created you for that. And my prayer is that more and more, there'd be a greater sense of adoration and wonder. That's God's destiny for your life is that not the longer and longer you live, the more stagnant and bored you get in your walk with Jesus, but instead, the more and more it'd burn brighter and the wonder and the awe and the worship and adoration would flow more naturally out of your life as you walk with God. Secondly, I, we're really excited to unpack corporate worship because when we come together, in a united way, there's a unique expression that we can bring before the Father in one voice. And the more as individuals we're stoking a heart of individual worship, and then we come together, this, this one voice becomes even more penetrating to the throne room of heaven. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. And, and thirdly, we're going to talk about warfare worship. Even most of the, actually all three of the songs we sang this morning had this declaration of worship that realigned us with our, with our truest identity in Christ. And we can get aligned with that. There's an authority that we step into in God that does break strongholds. That's so practical to the day, day in, day out, muck and mire and battle of life. And I'm so excited for us to get equipped in that in the coming weeks. There's so much for us to unpack in worship. This is what C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Weight of Glory. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. 
And if we think of our Monday through Saturday, or maybe even the way you think of Sunday morning church, we don't have a paradigm for understanding what it truly can entail. It's much more closer to this expression of a lifestyle of worship, of adoration and glorifying God. And I pray that we'd set aside our mud pies in the slum and we'd truly take Jesus up on this offer, the holiday at the sea, of truly enjoying him. So John chapter four, there's so much to this story. It's 46 verses and I'm not gonna read the entire story. But here we're gonna look at Jesus' conversation and truly a divine encounter with this woman who's an outcast, who's pretty unassuming. Jesus has this encounter with her at this this well in John chapter four. And there's so much culturally, historically, to this that makes this, this story so significant. I want us to understand it before we, we read just the brief portion that we're gonna read. But this, this woman lived, lived in a town called Sychar in the region of Samaria. Samaria is nestled between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. Jesus' primary ministry was in Judea and Samaria. I mean, Judea and Galilee. But in fulfillment of the, uh, the, the prophet's he was going to be a light to the Samaritans. The right at the outset of John chapter 4, it's beautiful. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. When in actuality, the custom for the truly religious Jews, especially the Pharisees, is they would go out of their way to go around Samaria because the Samaritans were like these half-breeds. They were like lesser Jews. Centuries prior, they, had inter, they were Israelites that had intermarried with the Assyrians. And, and so they, they looked down on them. Not only that, but religiously, they had, they had, deterred from, they had um, detracted from the, the Jewish faith in its purest sense. They altered scripture. They set up a center of worship on Mount Gerizim. And there really was this factioning that, hap- that took place amongst the Samaritans and the Jews. But yet, the prophet said Jesus would be a light to the Samaritans. And Jesus was compelled by the Holy Spirit, obedient to the Father, and he had to go through Samaria. That's significant. His heart is always for the lost. And there's no one that's too far gone. Here's a Samaritan. She's also a woman. And for a a Jewish man to be talking publicly with a woman was not right. It was not... Uh, it was not normal for the day. But Jesus was making himself real to her. He was getting her attention. Not only that, not only was she a Samaritan, not only was she a woman, but she was obviously a very broken sinner. We're all broken sinners. But this story, I think it stands out so much, and I believe John was compelled by the Holy Spirit to capture it in Scripture. Because her broken sinfulness was, was the knowledge of everyone around her. She was the, the, the town outcast. She was at the, she's here at the well at noon. That's the time everyone else had already gathered their water for the day, and here she comes out by herself. She doesn't want to be really seen by anybody. She's so tired of the whispering, t- tired of the gossip. She'd been married four times, and now she's with another man, living with this man who's not her husband. And she just feel like, feels like she's been around and around and around in the cycle of brokenness. And yet Jesus pursues her. There's not one that's disqualified from this call that Jesus is gonna make. He wants your attention. 
Let's read this, starting in verse 16. So Jesus said to her, he starts up a conversation with her. He asks her for water. She's blown away that he's asking him for water. And he says, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one who you now have, now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So I misspoke. She's had five husbands. Now she's with her sixth I mean, at this point, it's not even about relational ties. It's just about the practical survival of life. She's just with another man for, for sheer uh, survival. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She tries to draw him into the, the debate of the day. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He gets her attention multiple times and he calls her into this lifestyle of worship. Worship in spirit and truth. So I hope you caught what he was saying, that the Father is seeking worshipers. There's this hour coming and in fact it is here now. The life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus consummated this this age, this era in which Jesus, in which the Father is calling true worshipers, these worshipers in spirit and truth. It's this lifestyle of worship. He says it's not confined to a location. It's about worshiping in spirit and truth. So the Father is seeking worshipers, and I pray this morning that you hear the Father's calling. He's calling for your attention. He's saying, son, daughter, and I have your attention I'm seeking true worshipers. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, searching for hearts, who's, who's looking to strengthen those whose hearts are truly committed to him. It's the heart of the Father. He's searching to and fro, looking for hearts that are truly committed to him so he can strengthen them, so he can commune with them. So they can step into what they're truly created for, to be beings of worship to God Almighty. As A.W. Tilzer said in his book, Whatever Happened to Worship, he said, Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on the cross, and he rose from the grave to make worshipers out of rebels. That's what he's in the business of doing. And Jesus points us in that direction right here in John chapter 4. That's what he does. He's calling these true worshipers to arise. It's still the ball falls in your court to respond, but he's calling for your attention, that you would be a true worshiper. You'd be a part of this company of true worshipers, these ones who worship in spirit and truth. So the question then is, will you be a worshiper? Not just sing songs, not just to give lip service, but will you be called a worshiper Monday through Sunday? Will that be the description over your life? That you are one that, that seeks to glorify God, a lifestyle of adoration, 
wonder of who God is. So let's unpack this story a little bit more. God has a way of getting our attention. Amen? If we have humble enough hearts to be open to it, God has a unique way of getting each and every one of our attention. I believe we'll all stand before him without excuse. Of the 7.5 billion people on the planet, he has a unique way of getting your attention here for this woman. In this moment, it's a word of knowledge. He demonstrates to us, you know, what Paul later talks about in 1 Corinthians, I believe is a word of knowledge where he reads the status. But here Jesus calls it out and, and all of a sudden she realizes this is more than just a rabbinic leader. This man is in the, the, the echelon of prophet. And later then he, he goes on to boldly proclaim, hey, I'm the Messiah, this one that you say is coming. I am he. So God has a way of getting our attention. So I don't know what it is for you. I would challenge you to humbly search over your own life and understand the ways in which God has been trying to get your attention. Maybe it is through the supernatural, through a word of knowledge, through a moment where God miraculously touched your body, healed you. Some divine intervention. Maybe it was in a moment of desperation where finally the fog cleared and you began to see, oh yeah, there is a creator of the universe. There is this one Jesus who stands above all of the religious systems. Maybe it's through a person, a friend, a family member that in a moment of need, in a moment of desperation, stepped in to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. I don't know how God's gotten your attention, but I pray that you'd humbly recognize it because God has a way of getting our attention. So he gets her attention through this word of knowledge and the bold declaration of his messiahship. But what next? Because that, that was kind of her question. Okay, you are, you are something else. You're a prophet, maybe even the Messiah. But immediately her mind goes to the, the debates of the day. Hey, we Samaritans, we, we believe that worship is supposed to happen here at Mount Gerizim. And, and you Jews, you believe that worship is supposed to happen in Jerusalem. So where am I supposed to worship? You're, you're calling me to something greater. So where am I supposed to worship? And oftentimes that's the way our minds go. That's the way our minds just tend to, to grapple with those things. Style of worship and the, the, uh, the song selection, what the building looks like, what the people smell like. I don't know what the, 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 the struggles that you, you think through in your mind. But Jesus, it, Jesus doesn't completely sidestep the debate. He actually speaks truthfully into the debate and he says, actually, it's the Jews that have the truth. It's through the Jews that the Messiah will come. So he doesn't sidestep truth, but he also brings it a step higher and says, but location is going to be irrelevant. There's a day coming. And in fact, it is here now. When location is not going to matter, if it's Jerusalem, if it's Mount Gerizim, there's a day coming when there's going to be these lifestyle worshipers, these ones who worship in spirit and truth. And you can see Jesus take that, that tactic in all the debates that he's invited into. He doesn't leap in head first. He also doesn't completely sidestep it. You know, when it comes to the debates between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sadducees are ones who believe that you know, miracles weren't for today and there was no resurrection of the dead. Jesus boldly called out the Sadducees. But he also didn't get tangled in their debate to become some mediator. He all, always made it about the major issue, whatever the major issue was. And there is coming an eternal day. And obviously he always demonstrated his miraculous work amongst them. 
settling the debate in one sense, but also not letting the Pharisees off the hook, calling them to the higher plane. So Jesus is calling for your attention, and our minds naturally begin to ask all these questions. So what next? How, where, what, what does this look like? What does this look like for my life Monday through Sunday? Awesome. Is that a worship ballad? That was awesome. Uh, And Jesus points this woman to what she's created for. The Father is seeking these ones, these true worshipers. The Father is spirit. And he's he's seeking after these ones who will worship in spirit and truth. I love how Jesus sees this woman beyond where she currently is. He sees prophetically what she was created for. I would would challenge you, I would encourage you to realize that God sees you beyond where you currently are, in Jesus, what you were created for. I would challenge you as you hang out with others to allow your heart to have that sort of faith for others around you. My heart burns as I sit with individuals and hear their stories and the the cycles that they're trapped in, the, the... the mindsets that they feel trapped in, my heart burns for them to experience more of what God's created them for. That God has created them to be true worshipers. And this week, specifically, as we were making some final preparations for camp, you know, our kids are going to teen camp this, this Monday, tomorrow. Riley's gonna be going, uh, hitting up some late nights at teen camp. Um, and then the following week, our elementary kids will be uh, going to, to kids' camp. So we're making these final preparations. I, I recall the story of a young lady that attended our church several years ago. She came from a broken home and pretty much an absent father, alcoholic father. They were, the, her parents were still married, but she was essentially just raised by her mother. But she was a girl that was here oftentimes, anytime the doors were open. And I remember her going away to camp that year experiencing something in God and I was out at camp and I was sharing a little bit as I was doing Chi Alpha and I saw her up at the altar worshiping God. My heart just leapt out of me saying that's what she's created for. You know, we can feel trapped in the muck and mire of what we experience in the day-to-day and our circumstances that largely are out of our control. But to see a young person just lost in the wonder and adoration of their creator it's nothing better. And so then I remember fast forward as, the, as she came back from camp, I saw there was some altar call that morning, that Sunday morning, she was up here with her hands raised high. I'd never seen her even entering in or participating in worship in any way. Oh, I love it though. It never gets old for me to experience, come alive to that. A large, large majority of this city, they don't ever experience that sort of uh, infatuation complete heart affection of their creator. I love it. And Jesus saw this woman and what she was created for. The day is coming, and in fact, it is here now. The true worshipers will arise. So verse 23, I want us to just kind of bask in this really good news. Verse 23, it says, But the hour is coming is now here, and the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. I want us to unpack what that may mean to be worshipers in spirit and truth. And I'm going to try to 
unpack it just with the, the plain reading of scripture, not try to theorize or hypothesize all the potential ways in which we could interpret that. Instead, I'm gonna try to keep it plain and simple. Is that good? You like it plain and simple? He wants us to be worshipers in spirit and truth. The two Greek words are pneuma and aletheia. Pneuma is a word that Jesus uses often in his ministry. Most often talk about the work of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Not explicitly, but pneuma can mean wind, breath, spirit. So if we were just to read the plain, the plainest interpretation of what it means to worship in spirit, in this new age, in this new era, in this new covenant, accomplished by his blood and by his resurrection, it would be worship in relationship with the Holy Spirit. He was ushering in, he was speaking of this day that was coming. When Holy Spirit wouldn't just work amongst, drop in and and do different works on the earth, but instead he'd come and dwell in us. And so this worship that the Father is seeking is this worship from those sons and daughters, those, those ones who have the spirit of sonship living inside of them. And that is the current reality that we live in. In the Old Covenant, you know, Holy Spirit would, would work in locations and people. He would show up with, the, with a cloud of glory in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle or the, or the temple. These physical, geographical locations. Holy Spirit would come and work on priests and prophets and kings and judges, these individuals and the, the crowds and the masses, they'd have to come to these locations, they'd come to these people, and they'd, they would seek God, they'd worship God in those contexts. But Jesus points to a coming day, and in fact, he says it is here now, when these true worshipers, they won't be confined to locations, they won't be confined to coming before these mediators, but instead they will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Because Holy Spirit's going to come and live inside of us. And we can have a communion where there is only one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ. Peter points us and gives context to the day and age in which you and I all live in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. He says, in these last days, we live in the last days today, 2019. It's the last day as God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and the female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. There's a new day and age. It's different than the old covenant. One commentator, Ron Whitaker, He spoke of this passage and he said to worship in spirit and truth means to worship as one who is spiritually alive, living in the new reality Jesus offers. And the reason that jumped off the page this week as I was studying is because literally this week I sat with with an individual that was trying to get out of the muck and mire of addiction. She had surrendered her life to Christ several months ago. And she talked about that day, that morning, when she surrendered her life to Christ. And she says, everything in my life, before I came to to surrender my life to Christ, I felt like I was dead. I was like the walking dead. She said she felt like a shell of a person. But she said when she surrendered her life to Christ, it was like she came alive. For someone 
largely illiterate in the Bible, I thought that was pretty profound, that her description of that encounter that morning of surrendering her life to Jesus Christ, it was like that dead part in all of us came alive. That's what Jesus describes us being born again. It's Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us. We are dead otherwise. And when we surrender our life to him, Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. So worshiping in spirit means to worship in relationship, in communion, in acknowledgement, in awareness, in understanding, in growing adoration and affection for fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And that's my hope and my prayer for every single one of your life. That's God's destiny for you, is to you, for you to walk in greater and greater awareness, greater relationship with a person, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. He is a person. So what about the other aspect, aletheia? Literally means awe without aletheia hidden. So it's not hidden anymore. It's not concealed. It means truth, true sincerity, integrity. And what I, what I most clearly came to was this conviction that every single individual has to be able to worship God truthfully for themselves. No one can do that for you. It doesn't matter your family heritage. It doesn't matter if your parents are on fire believers. It doesn't matter if your spouse is, if your kids are surpassing you in their spiritual life. You need to learn to worship God truthfully for yourself in sincerity and in genuineness, out of genuine encounter. Eight and a half years ago, when we moved here, we had this mantra that was growing in our hearts as we started ministry on the campus. And it was this conviction that every student would have a personal encounter with God and they themselves would taste and see community, true, genuine community with others. Because in this consumer age, most people don't experience real community life on life. So personal encounter with God and true community. And it continued to, to guide us through our ministry. I have this strong conviction that everyone needs to have a personal encounter with God. Don't get freaked out by the word encounter. It doesn't need to, need to be an audible voice from God. It doesn't need to be something crazy or scary. It's, it's specific to you. It's unique to you. And it, it's God getting your attention. God's not just getting your neighbor's attention. He's trying to get your attention. And he loves you so much that he'll uniquely pursue you seek out relationship with you. And I believe that's what it means to worship in truth. It's this, it's this response, genuinely, sincerely, in response to a personal encounter. One of my favorite A.W. Tozer quotes is, whatever else it embraces, true Christian experience must always include genuine encounter with God. Without this, religion is but a shadow, a reflection of reality, a cheap copy of an original once enjoyed by someone else of whom we've heard. That's why we're so passionate about our kids going away to camp this week and next week. It's, it's an opportunity for them to, in, in a small way, in an incremental way, spread their wings and fly and encounter God for themselves. It's in that context, finally, their parents aren't looking over their shoulder. Maybe their parents paid their way, but they, they go to chapel every, they go to every worship service with their peers. And it's in that environment, I just find that students and kids, they're so open to the things of God. And it's in those places that God just begins to open their eyes. And I can't help but even recall my own story, 
moments at camp. I remember when I was 10 or 11 year, years old experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a young child. And that affected my trajectory, the trajectory of my life. Those, those moments, those encounters, those mile markers, those monument moments. You tracking with me? That's my hope for every single one of you. And it doesn't matter now if you're, if you're older, if you're, if you're beyond those days, you're not too far gone, you're not too old, you're not too mature or whatever in age. God is getting your attention, even this morning. But there's also an aspect to worshiping the Father in truth, so Spirit, Holy Spirit living inside of us in greater communion and relationship with Holy Spirit and truth, meaning grounded in genuine, truthful, sincere encounter with God. There's also an aspect of it that I believe is a growing awareness of the attributes and the, and the, the character of God that we grow in awareness of in, over a lifetime. I believe that's why worship should get richer and richer as we get older, because it's over a lifetime that we realize just one attribute, just consider one attribute of God, his faithfulness. And it's over a lifetime. You can, you can have a head knowledge of faithfulness. And at the outset of your infancy in Christ, you can be like, yeah, I affirm God is faithful. But then you go on a journey over a lifetime of experiencing his faithfulness time and time again and his word coming alive to his faithfulness and, and just uh, reiterating that, reverberating that, that message of his faithfulness. And then over a lifetime, through circumstances, through the thick and the thin, through trials, through tribulations, you realize he is faithful. And worship becomes even more three-dimensional, more living color, more vibrant. Hopefully you can't even hold back the tears the older you get because you're so in awe and wonder and adoration of God's faithfulness. That's just one attribute. Consider his mercifulness, his, his grace, his holiness, his sovereignness, all of those aspects of who he is. It only gets richer and richer as we walk with God. Are you tracking with me? And so finally, we get to verse 26, where Jesus makes the, um, the emphatic declaration, which he does not do often, because he knows it will cost him his life. He says, he is the Messiah. I am who you speak of. It's me. I'm the Messiah. And this woman, the trajectory of her life is forever changed. She goes back to the town. She becomes a great evangelist. Not because she had a title of evangelist, because her lifestyle was that of worship. She couldn't help but talk about what Jesus had just done in her life. She'd encountered something real for herself. She couldn't help but talk about it. And everyone was drawn then out to the well, out to Jacob's well. So the Father is seeking worshipers. Will you be a worshiper? Maybe you feel like you're too busy to be captivated by the one. Maybe you feel like you're too anxious to stop and just be overwhelmed by the, the, the author and the source of all things. Maybe you feel too stressed. I remember, I, was, uh, I remembered a story this week as I was just thinking about this, this idea of stopping and giving our full attention to one who is worthy of it. When my son was four or five years old, he just loved superheroes. And uh, I remember one instance specifically, he's running around the house with his superhero costume on and, and pretending and playing and just, he was, 
he's a rowdy little preschooler and just having a blast. And, and my wife still reveling, not, she still does revel in this, but she was reveling in the opportunity to stay home with her kids. And, and uh, she said, hey, Bryce, come sit with me, sit on my lap and just have a conversation with me like my wife would. She loves to have conversations and come have a conversation with me. He says, mom, I'm busy. I gotta save the world. And how often in our own lives do we kind of have that same sort of like silly response to God? Hey God, I'm too busy. I gotta go save the world. And it's kind of a pretend um, expression that we, 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 we live our lives within. And say, God, I'm too busy to give you my attention, to give you my affection. I gotta go save the world. I got a, a lot of really important things to do, God. How silly. And we can laugh at, at Bryce's expression, but when it comes down to our own relationships, strip away everything in your life, strip away your job, strip away your, your family, your marriage, your kids, everything, and you stand before the Father. Once you want to be one who is fully captivated, overwhelmed, enthralled in, in your heart affection for, for that one. Oh, it stirs me up. He sees you like a child. He says, come, come sit up on my lap. I'll have a conversation with you, son, daughter. Let's close our eyes in this place and respond to God. Hope you're understanding that worship's not music. It's not just something we do in our, in our service. It's something God is seeking in your life. It's a lifestyle of worship, to worship him in spirit and truth through the life of the Holy Spirit in you and through truthful, sincere encounter with him. So the question this morning is, are you, give, are you going to give him your attention? So there are some here this morning that need to surrender their life to Christ. That when I say, you know, God wants your attention, you say, yeah, I haven't given God my attention at all. I haven't been walking in relationship with him. I need to make things right this morning. If that's you this morning and you want to start a relationship with God, if you want to make things right, if you just raise your hand, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you, awesome. Awesome. Is there anybody else? Awesome. There's several hands in this place. If that was you this morning, it's a big deal for you to come to a place where you come to the end of yourself and you realize that Jesus is your Savior, is your Lord, is the answer for your life, that you're going to stop running. So right now, just in your own words, you pray a prayer like this. Jesus, this morning, I recognize the end of myself. I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop trying to fill the holes, the dead spots in my life with all these other things. Instead, I turn to you as my sufficiency, as my Lord, as my source, as my everything. I look to you, Jesus, the one who gave your life for me on the cross, who conquered death in the grave, who gave Holy Spirit to live inside of me. I look to you, I surrender my life to you, no turning back from this day forward.
Let's give those a prayer to prayer like that. And if you prayed a prayer like that, I encourage you to tell somebody about it. It's not meant to be something you do in secret. Instead, we do it with others so that others can cheer you on and disciple you and encourage you in your faith. So tell somebody about the decisions you made this morning. But if you'd stand to your feet, I want to give an opportunity for one more response this morning. Because I know there's many believers in this place who God is also getting your attention in a special way. He's calling you. He's calling for your attention Monday through Saturday. You've gotten in that rut of feeling like Sunday mornings are the only time you worship. And what a shame. You're settling for mud pies in the slum instead of that holiday by the sea that C.S. Lewis talked about. And God wants to invite you into a lifestyle of worship and spirit and truth that flows out of your lips, that flows out of your, your, your actions Monday through Saturday and obviously Sunday, I love Sundays, Sunday mornings, all throughout Sunday, all day long, the restaurant this afternoon, just gonna flow out of you. But I believe that he's calling for your attention and there's a heart response that we need to make as well. So I want us just to take a moment to respond to Jesus. Just close your eyes across this place. Lord, all across this place in unique ways, as you do, you're speaking to hearts. Dynamic that have disqualified themselves from from dynamic daily relationship with you. They feel like they've messed up too many times. There are some that feel like maybe they're too old. They're not youth anymore or college age student or whatever it is. This morning you're getting their attention. There are some that have grown bored. There are some that are trying to split their attention. Literally, they're in front of the TV and they're trying to also pretend that they can give you attention. And so Lord, I ask this morning that you'd awaken our hearts to this level of heart affection, that we'd be more aware of our inability to split our attention between multiple things and instead we'd live a life of wholehearted attention on you. Capture our hearts right now, Jesus. Pray all across this place. Just an atmosphere of adoration, of wonder, the majesty of God. It's my prayer. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.